Hello, thanks for joining us on this Exponential Hub show. I'm excited to be with you today, and I'm really excited to be joined by Jeff Vanderstel. You probably know him if you've been learning in the church world for some time. Jeff's been somebody I've learned from from afar for a while, and I'm excited to have a personal conversation with him today while you're joining in. Uh, Jeff has done a lot of things in the decentralized world of distributed leadership, and I think we have some questions that we want to ask. So as you're joining in today, I hope you'll ask some good questions. We'll filter through those and try to get a lot of them answered, but we're going to have a great conversation about what the church is, uh, how do we transition churches toward that, uh, what the church should not be, how do we deconstruct and move away from some things. So I'm excited. Let's jump in. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be with you. For those who may not know you yet or know you well enough, could you give a brief introduction of yourself, your family, where you live and what you do? Yeah, presently living in uh, Bellevue area. It's just east of Seattle. Uh, been here for quite some time. I've been married uh, for almost 20, 29 years to my wife, Janie. We have three children, one who's a sophomore in college, uh, our daughter, our middle son uh, is a senior in high school, and our youngest daughter is a freshman. Uh, so we're a family of three kids and our kids are starting to leave the home. So that's an interesting time of transition. Uh, my yeah. wife's an EMT. Uh, and so that's the work she just started doing this last year. So wow. pretty exciting to see her step into that. And uh, I've been in a variety of ministry settings. I served in youth ministry for about 14 years. Uh, the last uh, work I did was at Willow Creek. I led the student ministries there uh, and then have been in church planting work. Uh, since about 2003 in a variety of different ways. Presently uh, in a church called Doxa. I'm not on staff anymore. I just stepped down two months ago and handed over the okay. teaching pastor position to a younger leader, but still serving as an unpaid uh, leader at the church. Um, that church was birthed out of what was Mars Hill uh, Bellevue, the live preaching campus of Mars Hill. They called me to come in and replant a church out of that uh, about six and a half years ago. And then I give now the majority of my time to serving the Soma family of churches, which was birthed out of the first church that we planted in Tacoma back in 2003, and uh, also saturate a not-for-profit that we created to really train and equip the church towards gospel saturation. So that's the work I do. I love the work you're doing, and it's informing a lot of the work that I'm doing and other people are doing. I'm grateful that you're doing it. What was the genesis of this for you? How did you no, it was time for you to make a transition from, man, I'm in the sort of pinnacle of the church world, it would seem to most people. And now I'm going to leave and do something pretty different and unique and pioneering, especially at that moment in our country. What was, what was the genesis of that? Well, I had, like I said, I'd been in youth ministry for so many years, and I'd been in a variety of different churches, one where I started a youth ministry, another where I stepped into a very messy situation in the youth ministry. Um, the youth pastor had been sexually involved with students, went to prison for it. And then Willow Creek, where we you know, took a very centralized model and we decentralized the model. I mean, we went from everything at the building to moving it to 25 different houses and we still did some centralized ministry but a lot of it was decentralized and in every one of those ministries i saw students uh become disciples who could make disciples i saw them run ministry like our all of our ministries were adult mentored but student-led yeah. and so here i am watching students do this and, and but what would happen is they would graduate and be encouraged to take a seat um, and they graduate to what they, they call big church <laughs> or adult church. And really, even at Willow, you know, it was like, uh, invite your friend and uh, serve in a ministry. Um, and the ministry was in a building. And yeah. so it took this decentralized movement of students reaching their friends to a very centralized expression. And I saw a lot of them get disillusioned uh, with that because it's, it's like they were in the middle of the game. <laughs> as a player and now they're encouraged to be a, a fan yeah. and just kind of watch the game. And so I think having it happen at Willow for me was the, and there were a lot of other reasons why I stepped down from Willow, which we won't get into, but for this conversation, I just kept thinking there's gotta be a better way. And internally we'd been having the conversation at Willow Creek too. And it, eventually the reveal document kind of told the story of like, we weren't actually making disciples who could make disciples at Willow. 
And thankfully, they had the courage and the humility to say that. And it led to a lot of big questions that I think people are still asking. But for me, I resigned and I thought I'd go back to my original training, which was business. That was my uh, college training. And the work I was going to do was just do entrepreneurial work. So I thought, well, I'll start a business. I could probably do more disciple making in that context than I could maybe in the present one that I was in. So that was the shift. Little did I know that there were going to be three phone calls came in the day I resigned when nobody knew I'd resigned yet, asking if I'd ever thought about church planting. And that's what led me back to the Seattle area uh, from Chicago to start SOMA. And when we started it, the question we just kept asking is, how do we make it normative for every Christian to be a disciple who makes disciples? And how do we avoid creating any kind of system or structure or program that would tell them other? Yeah. Um, because so many of the systems I experienced was doing just the opposite of equipping and sending. It was attracting and keeping. And so we wanted to shift the narrative. So the way we started the church was with that premise all, all along. I think that's beautiful. And, uh, you know, it excites me. And I identify with some of those reasons uh, and some of those premises, although you did it, you know, much better, much quicker, much bigger than I was able to do it at the beginning. And um, and so I'm encouraged, though, by the reasons why you, you did it. I think with all the pastors that I spend time talking to, it seems like they're asking questions, but some people don't even know the questions to ask. There's a sense that something's off. We're a little bit off um, and we need to do something different. But the, some of the questions need to be more informed. What informs questions that lead to this proper change? Like, what was the impetus of your questions? What was the base of your questioning? Well, there were several. I mean, one of them was, what was the mission that we were given? <laughs> right. And it was to make disciples who make disciples. And Jesus wasn't talking about reaching people that were already reached. He was talking about sending his disciples out to the people who had not yet been reached. And his commission wasn't, let's start a service. It was, let's send disciple makers so yeah. I think just the very beginning of the start of the church was that. So I think we had to get, we have to get back to seminal questions. And that is what was Jesus wanting us to do all along? Right. I don't think he intended for us to primarily think of church the way we do it. Um, yeah. And so, so that was the second question is what was he hoping we, we would be? Like what was his intent that we would become if we accomplished his mission? And I think Acts gives us a very clear picture of what that looks like, as does, I think, Ephesians. And I think Ephesians is incredibly informative. It's really the constitution of the church. And yeah. so for us, that's what we did. We just asked that question. What was Jesus want us to do? Seems like there's three big things. The Great Commission, which is make disciples who make disciples to the ends of the earth. Right. Uh, two, teach them to love God and love people. And three, make sure the church stays united so that way the world sees what I'm like in my relationship with the Father. In yeah. terms of those are the three things, and Exponential talks about those three as well: the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, the Great Collaboration. Uh, now, right. I didn't have that clarity back then, but that's really what it is. And so, when we started Soma, uh, which is the Greek word for body, we just spent our time in Ephesians. Mm. We first of all said, "Let's train twenty people to do what Jesus did, and then teach them to do it with others." And that's how we formed our missional communities. That's really our decentralized expression of what people call house church. Um, and we went through the, the book of Ephesians, just said this should set in place what we're called to be. So that big question, what is the church? Um, I think if you don't define that, right. <laughs> then you end up with, you're, you're going to end up with whatever you, you do defining it. And I think that's what we've done. We almost backward define the church. Like this exactly. is a church because this is what we do. Like, no, yeah. no, no, no. What does the Bible say the church is? You're right. Um, and we can talk about that if you're interested. I'm well, sure no, it would be I, helpful. I think, I think, yeah, I do. I think that'd be very helpful. And I, I do like to have the conversation with people with an open Bible when people will say, well, can you explain to me why you're doing it this way? I said, yes, I can. How about you first explain to me with an open Bible why you're doing it the way you're doing it? And that essentially immediately disarms people to say, I, I have people say, I can't explain biblically why I'm doing things the way I'm doing it. And I agree. I also, for many years, did things the way I did it because that's all I knew. 
Um, but I had the same Bible then that I have now. So why didn't I know earlier? Maybe I wasn't ready for it. But at some point, the Bible, um, biblically, historically, and globally, informed my dissonance with the churches that I was leading in. And so I knew there had to be a different way. And I think I looked at some elements for me that I realized were not present in the churches where I was serving. Uh, A couple of those elements, one was distributed leadership. And we had the clergification of the church that Alan Hirsch talked so beautifully about. And so that was one element I'd love to talk about today that I think is a sticking point for people. And they don't really understand what is distributed leadership. I wouldn't have for a long time in my life either. Could you explain your idea of distributed leadership? In a minute, we're going to talk about decentralization and we're going to talk about diverse communities rather than homogenous communities. Would you talk about distributed leadership for a minute? What do you think when you hear those words? Well, I, there's there's a lot of ways to go after this. There's, you know, on one hand, there's the, the leadership of how we equip because Ephesians makes that really clear. We can talk more about that. But like Good. the point of the church is that it is meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the definition of ministry biblically was never running programs. Right. You know, as you take it from Ephesians 1, 22, 23, Christ is the head of his church, which is his body, which he fills all in all. So now if you read the rest of Ephesians, ministry is how do we build people up for the ministry of all of life? That's right. How they go to work, how they live in their neighborhoods, how they love their families, how they care for their kids, how they deal with spiritual warfare. Like it was never, the goal was never ministry is running a children's program. And I'm not saying it's evil. It's just that that wasn't, that wasn't what they meant. Mm -hmm. When they said the work of ministry and the fact that it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher tells you the kind of ministry they're referring to. Yeah. Apostles yeah. extend it to the world. Prophets call us to righteousness and justice. So we become imitators of God in, a, in this world so they can see what God our fathers like by watching our lives. Evangelists call them to the good news and recruit them to Jesus, you know, in all of life, not through just evangelistic events. Shepherds are making sure we're loving one another in ways that demonstrate the Father's love. And teachers make sure we know that this all comes from the Bible <laughs> and we right. know how to like walk that out. So, so I would say then when you think about distributed leadership, you're saying, how do we in, in create leadership that equips the saints for the work of ministry in all of life? Yeah, and then how do we mobilize people to lead those ministries in all of life? Beautiful. So, so like yeah. businesses no. are an expression of that. Households are an expression of that. Right. Teachers working in a school is an expression of the ministry of, of, of the church. Like all that stuff becomes it. So that yeah. in that sense, it's distributed everywhere Yeah, if you really get it. And I, then there I, are also like environments I think you have to create to help the mobilization of the everyday ministry as well. Yeah. Well, I, you know, what you just said at the end there, I think becomes a point of tension for people because some people would say, great, we're doing that. But we're doing it through the structure of the church as we know it. And generally, they would say, well, our programs are doing that or our gatherings are doing that. And so I think that becomes the breakdown or the tension or even the excuse people have or the explanation is, well, we're doing the same thing in a slightly different way. Yet, I mean, the argument has to be made. It's not working. Um, It's just not going so well. So when somebody's saying, Hey, you're equipping the saints to do, you know, to be a great teacher and affect people with the gospel or lead their home well. We're doing that too, but we have this heavy centralization here. The clergy at the church are doing it, or the programs at the church are doing it, or whatever. What has to shift in somebody's mind? What needs to shift from that? Well, there's quite a few shifts. I think one of it is your metric. Um, your, your measurements have to change a lot because like you just said, it's not working well. There'd be other people go, well, it is working because our right. church is growing and that you go, okay, well, that is that the right metric is, is a growth of a, a body getting bigger and bigger. Is that the metric of, of fulfilling the great commission and living out the Ephesians picture of church? I would argue it's possibly not. It's mm-hmm. not that it's wrong, big or small. is not the problem. But that's not the right metric. The right metric is, are people engaging in everyday mission of making disciples where they live, work, learn, or play, like in the yeah. places of life? That, that's the metric I think we have to measure, at least according to the scriptures. Like when sure. Luke captures what the church did, he's capturing that. 
Um, and so I think one that has to change, you might have to change your metrics so that you can actually properly measure whether you're doing the work. And yeah. then, and then second, I think what has to change is you, you, you have to, um, recognize that the, the gathering itself was never meant to be the pinnacle of mission. Yeah. Like that, that has to change. Like you have to reframe well, how you think about that idea. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that has to change. I also think you have to re rethink staffing. Like, why do we pay people, right? Like the language I've often used is, we don't pay anybody to do ministry. That's what Jesus paid his life for. Like yeah, he died true. on the cross to, to set us apart to be as a workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. Right. Uh, so if we're paying somebody, the, the encouragement I give is you only should pay people if they need to be freed up to equip more. Yeah. So pay, pay your equippers if it helps them to be freed up to do more. Now, I don't need to get paid by the local church to still equip in the local church because I'm getting my resource in another way. But if, it, if we need it, great. Or pay them to make ministry out in the world easier. So to administrate more ministry. That's good. Like, but we tend to pay people to do the ministry. Right. And I think that's fundamentally flawed. Sure. If you pay people to do ministry, you're fundamentally saying to the church, and that's what creates the hierarchies. Like, you know who, do, who are the ministers around here? The ones who get paid. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love that. And, you know, while we talk about this, I'm uh, simultaneously frustrated and have compassion for people who are still living in this world. And I think a lot of people that are joining these conversations now, they're living in a world where uh, they're in this paradigm that seems to be broken. It's not resembling anything we read in Acts or Ephesians or global movements, and they don't know what to do. And so they want to keep doing a good job because it's their job. And frankly, I think some people don't know how to go start something else. Few people are called to do that, I think, at least in this way. So what does somebody do, Jeff? Let's say a great man or a great woman is working in this structure of a church but they're not seeing what we read about in the Bible, what we dream about and pray for. They're not seeing it. What does somebody do with that today? Well, they probably need to repent if they've contributed to it. Um, I think wow. all, all change starts with repentance. And the biblical idea of repentance is a change of mind. Um, and that, that's not just my thoughts. It's like my whole being says there's got to be a change in me first. Hmm. Um, and so if there's no personal change yeah. in me then I can't lead people to something. So I think it starts there. Uh, if they have the ability to, in terms of authority in the church, then they hopefully lead the church to do the same, uh, to repent where, wherein God gives them clarity where they might need to repent. I think then you, you get to potentially, if you're already in an existing structure, you could potentially use the structures to create a new reality. And in some ways, not all the Weinstein skins are necessarily wrong. Like you, mm -hmm. you can possibly use some of the wineskins to transition. So Sunday could be a wineskin you can use to reframe up what it means to be the church through the teaching and preaching ministry on a Sunday. Like, and That's you could good. reframe up liturgy to start to have them practice the very ministry they're going to be sent to do out in the world, which is what liturgy is meant to do. It's meant to shape you for everyday life. So you could just start with making adjustments to those things. And then you can reframe up, how do we staff? Are we staffing towards ministry or towards equipping yeah. ministers? Like, so I think there's some changes you can make around those things. And then second, I think, I guess that would be third, you, you probably need to think through what is, what is sending the opposing message? <laughs> yeah. Because you're doing it all the time. People are like, hey, are you going to, where do you go to church? Like that statement is already destroying the whole principle of what we're talking about. Because yeah. we don't go to church, we are the church, right? And the church goes to the world every day. Yeah. And so, just start paying attention to your language because language shapes culture. Pay attention to the things you're doing that's actually standing against this. What yeah. is your highest bar of leadership? Is it yeah. leading in the church programs and systems, or is it this person might be a deacon to the city, you know, a servant to the city, and that's qualified ministry? Like, how do you define ministry? Who do you commission? Do you start commissioning every believer for everyday life? Or do you only commission elders and deacons for directly yeah. overseeing 
that. So, I mean, there's, the list goes on. I mean, we could keep going, but well, those are the kinds of questions you have to start asking. I, I, I think, um, you know, I wrestle with this with people at times, but I think a couple of things you just said here are really, really clarifying and helpful for people because I just, I just spent this morning with a, an exponential cohort of, of people in a doctoral program, and 20 of them are wrestling with this very question. And, you know, one of the questions I was asked was, what caused you to make this change and leave this great thing uh, by all other measurements and do what you did. And I, I said the word nausea, like I just felt sick mm. that uh, I was not stepping into what I felt like the word was calling me to. And I was perpetuating something different. And what I was perpetuating wasn't bad. It just wasn't best. And it was robbing I think God's plan of distributed leadership, decentralized, diverse communities. And so I had to get sick. When you said repent of it, I, um, I had to think back to that process in my life. And I realized that is what I, that is what I had to do first. I had to come to an awareness like um, the prodigal son came to his senses. I, I think thinking there's a that moment. As you're talking, I was thinking that very same thing. Yeah. You know, you're just sort of like, and I, I'm not trying to disparage the global church here in its existing form, but I do think if there's going to be some change, if somebody's watching this and saying, I've got to change, I told people this morning, I had to become convinced and convicted before I set out to do something else. I was now, I was convicted that led to repentance, and then I became convinced about what was not and some things that had to be. And so that was the beginning of this change for me which I never imagined I would be in a new world, but I can tell you what, I love the new world. Um, I can never go back to the old world. And uh, I'm seeing more of what you're talking about, the purpose of the church, what Jesus has called me to, than I've ever seen in my life collectively. I've seen in the last few years in this thing that we call church project. So, you know, I'm with Rob Wagner yesterday, who I know is a mutual friend. I've been learning from Soma communities for a long time. Um, what is this? There's a couple of camps now that we're seeing people who are sort of existing in the program driven, gathering driven, clergy driven church. And then we're seeing a distributed decentralized model here. Of course, the program driven existing traditional kind of churches, they have their differences, but their similarities. Now, Rob and I have a lot of similarities and we have some differences you and I would probably have some differences and some similarities. What are the similarities in this world that we're talking about that you see are crucial for disciple-making movements that we're discussing? Well, I think one of the similarities is a deep conviction to equip. Like equipping us, and, and I know the other would say yes, but like what I see like at in the Kansas City Underground and Tampa Underground, and from what I've heard a little bit about what you're doing from Rob, and then what we do with Soma, it, it was just this conviction that our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that includes being a disciple who makes disciples in all of life. I mean, in some ways it's that simple. That is one yeah. of the things that stands across all of it. And then making sure, similar to if you've, if you've done any reading on the, the vine and the trellis and the vine, it's like, let your trellis or your organizing systems or structures only support that. Yeah. And it, and as in as much as they choke that out, yeah, or replace it, you—that's where you've got to get seriously serious about change. And I think what we all in this conversation, you and me and Rob and others, uh, have in common is whatever it takes yeah. to see the mission advance through everyday people who are doing it in everyday life is what we're going to do. Right. And and there's just a ruthless commitment to that, to the point at which anything that's going to threaten that is yeah. not going to be hard to say no to. So well said. Uh, I, I think, you know, because I, I am seeing people wrestle with this. And at some point I'm like, oh, you're on the way, but you're almost there, but you're not quite there. Because at some point you can't unsee this anymore and you're willing to do whatever you need to do. I think we do it with grace. I think we do it with wisdom. I think we do it with love. And I think we do it with gentleness. But at the end of the day, when I see something choking out the beautiful potential of the church, I actually want to get rid of that. And so 
I think the thing, and most of the people who are watching these hub shows here are people who are in existing structures and they're needing to know what to do. I think a lot of the questions we are getting asked is coming from a perspective of, is it possible to adjust the environment that we're in? And so I guess I would ask you, and I know it's a big question, but is it possible to adjust an environment? Some environments would be yes, and some environments would be no. What would be some indicators that you would be telling somebody to look for that, yes, this is an environment that can start making these adjustments? Well, I think one is there, there has to be enough, um, I'm just going to call it anger. Um, and by anger, I mean passion. Like Jesus's road to the cross from the temple of turning over the tables of the temple to the sure. cross. We call that the passion of Christ. Yeah, right. That's his anger. Right. There has to be enough anger to be willing to go through the pain to get to the joy on the other side. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, there's not enough anger. There's not enough passion to be willing to go through the pain. I agree. Because it's a lot easier to just stay in the present existing model. Yeah. And and so I think if you don't have that personally, that's why it goes back to repentance. Because you don't have that, then you don't have the anger, you don't have the passion, you're not gonna go through the pain. Yeah. And the pain might mean you lose your job. Right. <laughs> it might mean we don't get paid to do this anymore. It yeah. might mean people leave. I mean, there's a lot of pain that comes. And sadly, I think the reason why we don't want to go through the pain is because the other model gives us quite a bit of comfort, frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, like I get paid. I have a career. Um, yeah. People like it. It it plays to what they would like to see happen in church, quote unquote. And so I think that has to be realized and you have to have the willingness to go through that. And then I think the culture itself, the church culture has to actually have that angst as well. Like yeah. something's wrong here, you know, like in my situation and we're still transitioning. It's not, it's not where Soma was and I'm not trying to make it Soma. It's got to be its own church, Doxa. But, um, you know, the problem, the, dom the, the problem of transitioning is Mars Hill, by all means, seemed very successful to the world. Yeah. Right. So the more, the greater success story, in some ways, the harder to transition. Um, now, it also had a very bad story you know, of, of all the brokenness of what it went through, as we know. And so in some ways, that pain of propping one guy up to that degree and giving that much power to a few really did hurt people so badly that there was a willingness to consider something different. Yeah. And so sometimes it's the pain. Uh, sometimes it's the, the lack of success, quote unquote, that right. makes it an easier culture to transition. And I would say the harder ones will be the ones that seem like they don't need it. And that's right. why I think Willow had such a hard time and frankly, didn't really ever turn, um, you know, from what they learned to a new reality in a lot of ways, it's still very much the same. And I'm not saying that to be mean about it. It's just, yeah. it was so embedded in the culture. That's a pretty hard thing to change when it's known around the world as the most successful church in some ways, you know? Well, I think again, it, you're, you're articulating some things that I think are so helpful for people. And I know you're getting this not only from your own experience, but you sit with a lot of people um, and have these discussions. And there are people who I know their environment can change and they can lead change there. And then there are people who I know uh, your environment will never change and you're going to have to make some tough decisions. Either way, I think once God convicts you of some things where the church has been so about elevating a person or a small group of people and not equipping the saints to do all the work of ministry, if you're in a place that has done that, there's going to be pain somewhere and you're going to have to be willing to pay the price, whether you're leading your people out of it or um, you leaving it. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those leading people out of it or leaving it, both of those I think are painful. For me, um, I wasn't in a position to affect that kind of change where I was. And so I left, but I think you can leave with honor and integrity and grace and love. I did. Um, and I'm so glad I did. I think God's honored that. Yeah. And so what, when somebody um, needs to go and they're ready to do what we're talking about, sort of now the thesis of this conversation today, how do you begin a church of house churches, what we call it a church project. We started with two house churches, 
a common oversight of elders that has now spread to many, many house churches. And then we've planted other churches that do the same. Um, they have their own common elders overseeing those places. We're not campuses, you know. Um, mm-hmm. When you when you start something, whether it be a church of house churches or micro churches or soma communities or whatever, what does somebody do? Let's say I can't I can't lead the people, so I got to leave the people to go do this. What What does somebody do? What What are the first things to actually start a Soma community, a house church, a micro church, a missional community? Well, I, there's, there's a lot of things you do. <laughs> um, I think, first of all, you have to be really clear what you're calling people to, because I think a lot of people um, in a dis- disillusioned state or a deconstructionist mindset are trying to just walk away from something and join another thing. And I think so that core formation of whoever's going to do it with you is incredibly important. Right. Um, it, it has to start with a humility and a heart of servanthood that we're here to serve, we're here to, to equip, we're here to extend the kingdom uh, to wherever God would have us. So I think how you start is really important. And then what you embed in that uh, DNA is absolutely crucial. Um, yeah. So for us, it was like, we've got to get the gospel right. We got to make sure they know that the gospel applies to all of life. We've right. got to make sure the gospel shapes their identity uh, so that they operate out of a being, not a doing. So, and theologians, you know, or, or English majors will use the language of indicatives to the imperatives, like mm-hmm. the indicatives, what is true, no matter what you do have to be primary, so that what you do comes out of what is always true. Um, mm. And so knowing who an God English is, major? <laughs> no, but I'm, I, I, I like it. <laughs> You're widely read. Yeah. Uh, but so the whole idea of helping people answer these four questions, who is God as seen by what he's done in Christ, mm defining who we now are as his people, the church, so that we know what to do. So I think you have to form them in that kind of biblical gospel-centered framework because they're going to reproduce whatever they reproduce out of the foundation. And so I think you have to lay that foundation really well, which I think then informs why, how we even get to these ecclesiological convictions. Right. Because if, if we are the children of God, the missionaries of Jesus, the spirit empowered witnesses, like if that's who we are, then we go be that. Um, and so I think forming that really strongly is really important. Good. And then, and then I think you, you have to then find containers for them to live it out. That makes mm. sense. And yeah. so for us, we just, you know, use proxemics, which is all about social spaces. So they need to walk with God. They need to, that's their first containers. Like I have a relationship with God. Yeah. Am I growing in that? Then we say life on life, which is we have a few people that know us really, really well. I have a couple of guys I meet with regularly, we call them DNA groups. Um, and so they're, they're doing more intimate, transformative work with me on my heart, my life. And then we have our missional community core, which is the people who say, we're going to together bring the kingdom of God to a particular people in place. Yeah. And we're going to do that in everyday rhythms. And so That's then we good. define those rhythms, eating together, celebrating together, listening to God and people sharing our story, being ready to, to plant the gospel in a place. Cause that's how a church gets started. You don't plant churches, you plant the gospel. Exactly. So teaching people how to plant the gospel through those everyday rhythms so that out of that, a new church emerges. And the right. idea of a new church is not the core. The new church is the people that we reached yeah. that became disciples who now are being trained to do the same thing. And that for us was a missional community. That's good. Um, and then those missional communities eventually raise up elders yeah. and those elders give oversight to a group of missional communities in the early days at some, we called that an expression of mm-hmm. the church. We didn't have another idea, but it was like, it should look like the community that it was yeah. in. Good. So there'll be an expression with elders giving oversight to that. And then Lord willing, we'll get to see more started and new missional communities established and new expressions sent. Good. And that to us was our church planting strategy. Pretty much what I just gave you was that. Well, I think that's so helpful because I, I, I'm excited and I'm concerned right now at this stage of church life because I'm excited that people are asking more questions than they've ever asked, and they're realizing something needs to shift. And they're doing that with their Bible and with the Spirit of God. Um, they're saying, hey, the, I see these things in the Word, and the Spirit of God is leading me to this. Um, but what people are – so they're stepping away from the old – but what they're stepping into isn't necessarily what you just talked about. I'm, there, it's not a disciple-making movement yet. 
And so yeah. people are planting churches that aren't uh, disciple-making movements. And so I think that is a real concern right now. What is your concern about that? Or uh, on the flip side, what are you really encouraged about that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'm encouraged about is I'm glad people are asking questions. Yeah. I think that's really important. Every, every shift starts with really important questions. What is the church? Why are we here? What would Jesus have us do? And so I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm sad and have a little bit of fear around the fact that some are rejecting basic doctrine yeah. as though that was the problem. And that wasn't the problem. We right. weren't actually living out our doctrine. Let's be clear. That was, we weren't faithful. That's how we ended up here. So we don't get rid of it. We get faithful. We get reformed. And I don't mean that in a reform Arminian thing. I just mean like, yeah. like we, re, we constantly have to get back to the word of God. So I'm excited right. they're doing it, but I'm concerned some aren't doing this, opening the word, but what does this say? And then with that, I'm also concerned that some are starting just because they're hurt and they aren't getting the healing they need. Yeah. They need healing. Uh, so they're doing a, out of a resentment, almost a revenge or spite. Um, and, it, you know, there needs to be accountability for where they've been hurt. You know, like people have done bad things in the name of Christ, but we need to be healed and then move forward. And I'm concerned some are just going to gather around their pain, around their hurt. And that yeah. that's not a movement either. Um, yeah. That's just a kind of a new perversion of church, unfortunately. So that I'm concerned about as well. I, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you're using words like anger and perversion, but I mean, the Bible uses some really strong language on things too. And I just sort of have wondered in my life, I, I think part of what caused me to say, I got to go no matter what. I mean, I actually told the, the wise counsel around me when I started, I said, look, I, I intend to work at Macaroni Grill uh, by day and do this by night as long as I need to, whatever I have to do, I'm willing to do it. I just got to give my life to it. And um, thankfully, when we started to give some people hope who maybe have restarted something, but they're not, they're not as clear. I mean, you, you're incredibly clear on uh, purposes and even processes to accomplish those purposes and environments. Rob is incredibly clear. I'm like, man, you know, you got some even great logos to go icons to go with that, that I understand what you're saying just from your icon. That's yeah, he's genius. brilliant at that. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. And so, you know, but like when we started, uh, we had at least the right direction, a lot of what we would never do a lot of what we needed to do, but we've had to refine some of that along the way. And, and we're still adjusting. I mean, that, I know two distinct areas in the topics we've talked about that we are pressing into big time right now for clarity. But we've, we've put together a structure that will hold disciple-making movements now, and we deconstructed old structures that would inhibit that. And so some people have started, and there, I'll give you some examples of questions that are coming in that people are really wanting to know. Um, people have started... And they're just wondering that it seems like people don't really know how to get disciple making processes going. So it seems like people have deconstructed. They started some right structure. Now it's not about the person anymore. It's really about the people, but they don't have disciple making processes in place. That would be a thread of questions that are coming in that I'm reading. What does somebody do? I got a deconstructed bad structures, programs, personality driven stuff. Now I have a deconstructed structure, but we're not really making disciples. What do they need to do? How do they pull back and reapproach? I think you have to start with the definition of a disciple. So if you don't clarify what that is, what a person looking, you know, what a disciple is, and I don't think you know where to go. Like, like Ford, I'll pick on them a little bit. They, they, if, if they didn't define what a, the new Bronco is going to look like, they yeah. wouldn't know how to build any of the systems or processes to even know how to build it. And so, yeah, I think you have to get clear on what a disciple is. You know, Dallas Willard said a disciple is someone who is committed to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. Um, I like to add, I just recently added something to that. Do what Jesus does if he were you hmm. in your good. place. So, yeah. like, really personalizes it there. Uh, so, 
make sure you have a clear definition of a disciple as accordance with God's word. So like, I think that's where you got to really do your work in the gospels and say, what did Jesus do? And who were these men and women like after he, they were with them three and a half years. And then what did they go do as according to acts? I think that's why yeah. we have that. So that's your blueprint. And so I think you start with that and then you ask, how do we form people in those ways? How do we release them to go do that work? And how do we continue to support and equip them while they're doing the work? And that yeah. starts to define the, the systems, the structures, and the leadership that you put in place to make that happen. Uh, and good. so for us, like we, I said some of it already, but I did la- leave out a couple things. We created a – so my, my first year, all we did was train once a week on how to be a disciple who makes disciples. And we practiced it together in the community during the week in normal stuff. Yeah. Not like – Come to a Bible study, but have a meal and invite your your neighbors over and learn how to listen well to the spirit and to them. Uh, exercise hospitality, like all the things that they did. It wasn't Jesus wasn't just always teaching. You're right. He did a, a whole bunch. In fact, that he didn't teach as much as we think he did. Mm. He did a lot more life and a lot more demonstration yeah. of the kingdom than just talking about the kingdom. And then yeah. you'd often explain what he just did. So we we in the beginning had a weekly training event. As we after we launched our church, which was really launching four mission communities to go plant the gospel, um, after we launched those uh, after a year of training, then we met once a month for ongoing equipping and training, and then they had coaching that supplemented that another mm-hmm. time in the month. So there'd be two points of contact and equipping and encouragement that happened every month in their life, and then once a quarter, one of the coaches would visit them in their lo- in their missional activity. And watch yeah. what they're doing and try to give them more feedback and counsel on how to do it. Similar to what Jesus did when the disciples came back. And then he counseled them on what to do based upon what they had just experienced. It's that same That's kind great. of process. So I think you have to have those kinds of systems in place to really support the work if you're going to go in this direction. And then I think you have to at least have a clear pathway. What does the discipleship pathway look like? And what does that missionary pathway look like? And by by that, what I mean is... How do we form someone in their faith so that they can go get on mission with a group of people? And how do we help those people go on mission together so they can form people in their faith? Yeah. And so if you don't have that clearly laid out, what that looks like, then you won't know how to lead people in a process. So I I think that's so good for people to hear. And um, I I think if someone's listening and they're really not sure where to start, well, let's start with some basic definitions. What is a disciple? And do you have processes in place, relationship structure, whatever in place where people are being discipled um, other than just being taught by sitting in a room somewhere? It's not, not what Jesus did. Secondly, the question is, well, what is the church? And I think that's a question that may be harder for some people to answer. What, what is a church? And we have embedded in our minds, we've seen, there's, it's so visible what we think churches are. But what is a church, Jeff? Well, there's a very big definition, which is it's the, it's the people of God saved yeah. by the power of the gospel uh, and set apart for the purposes of God in the world. Like that's, that's a very quick definition. But then people are going, well, what does the church do? Because yeah. that's usually where they go. Because who is the church is a different question than what does the church do? And a lot of people define the church by what she does instead of who she is. Hmm. And so I think the most simplistic way to define who the church is, is through our baptism. Hmm. We're baptized in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's all identity language, right? Good. Biblically, that we were Abraham. Abraham was given a new name, Abraham, father of many nations. If you were to ask who is Abraham, you would say, well, he he travels around and he has he had a kid and he no 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 who is Abraham? He's the father of many nations. That's good. so what did he do? He had a kid <laughs> and that kid happened to birth a nation, you know. So I think we've often defined ecclesiology, who is the church, by what she does. Hmm. And I think you have to go back and say, who is she? Yeah. And so baptism identity is well, baptizing the, the father, we're the family of God, hmm. who love one another as dearly loved children of God. Paul says we imitate God. As his dearly loved children, we're baptized in the name of the Son, and the Son came to bring the kingdom of God. So he's the king. We're his servants. So the church is the expression of the rule and reign of God in the world as we bring all things under Christ, who's the head. 
And we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, which means we're the empowered temple of God or missionary people who bring the very presence of God everywhere we go for the purpose of people meeting God, both in what we do and what we say. So I'd say that's, I think, the best way to define who we are, then what do we do comes under that. We love one another, we serve, and we proclaim Jesus, which, you know, Rob calls it worship, that they're irreducible Right. of ecclesiology is worship community mission right. in some ways that's what i just said in the trinitarian identity is yeah. community is family the worship is submitting to christ and bringing the king of god everywhere and mission is being the, the temple of the living god whereby we bring his presence to people so i think I, that to me is is the maybe the most irreducible definition of church perfect. found in our baptism now, what do we do? That's a different question, but that's where most people go wrong. They define the church by what she does. Man, I, I, uh, I, I hope that people will scour the way to find this and go back to minute 45 that we're on and re-listen to the identity of the church there, especially according to our baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. I'm going to do that. That was beautiful. By the way, have you written that down and expressed that somewhere? Yeah, that's in my in my book, Saturate. Yeah. So now I, I didn't write it to be a book on, on ecclesiology. I wrote it for everyday people to understand their identity. So good. But, but it really is what, when we, at some when we talk about who is the church, we use that as our fundamental definition of who the church is. I really encourage people to go, go find Jeff's book. Uh, saturate that he just mentioned and uh, and read about what he just said. What is our identity? And especially church leaders who are watching this and you're wrestling with all these things. Uh, I mean, you're listening to a guy who I respect and have learned from and so many do, and he's pulling us back to our identity in Christ. And some people I think are thinking, I got that now get, get me to the good stuff. But I think we got a lot of breaking down to do, and this has got to be the foundation on which we build ourselves and our discipleship and our church uh, are the people of God uh, doing and being who you've just expressed that uh, so beautifully. Thank you for that. Um, I'm trying to get some questions here, Jeff. And again, I think a lot of the questions that we're getting are real downstream, and I understand people's proclivity to get those answered, and so do you. We're trying to pull people back to this. We're having questions like, is there a difference between missional community and micro church? Uh, what metrics do we look at? And um, I think those are sometimes good questions to be asking, while at the same time, they feel fairly irrelevant to me in the world that I'm living in. I'm not asking a whole lot of those questions anymore, but can we get to a little bit of what the church does just to help some people in our final 10 minutes or so um, know, okay, this is who we are. How do we express this together? Like if somebody says, now I know who I am in Christ and the kind of disciples that I'm trying to make, how do I do that? Where do I do it? When do I do it? What do I do? Yeah. And some of those are culturally contextualized questions, right? Because if you're in like a persecuted part of the world, you you're going to have to find a different way to do it than if I'm in, like in Seattle where I'm at. And, um, but I think there are some basics regardless. I think there we're commanded to not forsake gathering together. Uh, why? So that we can encourage, exhort one another toward yeah. love and good deeds. Where is that meant to be expressed in everyday life, but also with each other? Cause Jesus says it's by your love for another that they're going to know you're my disciples. So I think you've got to have some kind of regularity and you're coming together as the followers of Jesus practicing the one another's encouraging one another. And you're going to do that through the variety of things that Paul offers up to the church in Corinth. You know, when, when you come together, you know, each one of you has something, you know, it might be a word instruction, a prophecy, a, a a tongue, you know, he's talking about a lot lot of things that were going on in their context. So it's like, what, what does your context need to build up the church in your present situation? And so, yeah, whether it's a missional community or a microchurch, whatever you call it, do you come together? Do you all bring what you have? Do you know your gifts so you know how to bring it hmm. so that you're building each other up in love? So that's one thing we do. But yeah. we also, so and, and how you do that, man, it can look a lot of different ways. I think it probably is going to contain prayer. It's going to contain 
you know, include being in the words to understand who we are. Yeah. It's going to include possibly some singing or celebrating or giving praise to God in a variety of forms. Um, it's going to probably include giving testimony of what God's been doing in our lives as we're on mission all week, probably going to include a meal, I would suggest. Um, may not be able to be a feast all the time. Sometimes maybe it's just the bread and the cup, but there's a celebration and remembrance around Christ that the early church did regularly. Um, And then I think it's going to include praying for the mission that you're on all week long and then being recommissioned. I mean, the the original benediction was meant to be a commissioning of the church. It wasn't just a blessing. It was a blessing for the sake of you're blessed to be a blessing. And so I think then it includes, and we we're going back out on mission and ideally together, not alone. So, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people still think of mission, like I'm going to invite them to my missional community or to my micro church. It's like, no, 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 no. You are the church where you go have meals together, throw parties, go to sporting events, like bring the church into all those spaces and teach people basic missionary principles. Like, How do I listen to God in the middle of the mission field? How do I listen to people so I can pay attention to what their longings, hurts, disappointments are so that I can share something of the good news first, probably through an action uh, versus just a word, which unfortunately most of us think missionaries just go and tell everybody. It's like, no, no, no. Good missionaries are there long enough to convince people they love them. Yeah. Whether or not they'll ever agree with what we think we believe about Jesus. Right. That's good. And so, I think those are the practices you engage in is that you come together, you're in the word, in prayer, celebrating, praising, singing, eating, doing, basically being a good spiritual family is what you're doing. There you go. Well, and I think that's the question that people really need to press into is, are, is the church that I'm leading in, is what I'm perpetuating, are there spiritual families where people are discipling one another, meeting each other's needs, you know? Um, are we praying together? Are we, you know, a lot of people have sat in classes and they don't really pray together. They don't know each other. They're not in the deep in the word together, wrestling with things together, questioning things together. They're not meeting each other's needs. They're not vulnerable. I mean, all these things that, you know, our people are experiencing now that they never did before. Mm-hmm. And I just so long for everybody to begin experiencing that, you know, more and more and more churches doing that. So, you know, Jeff, in our final few minutes here, uh, you, you have some avenues to speak to the church. And I want to ask you those avenues that I'm, I'm going to really encourage people to go listen to in a minute. Um, but what are some, some words that you want to say, I guess, to the church right now? I mean, Saturate, you had some really strong, helpful language, especially at the beginning of that, of what we we're doing that we shouldn't be doing and we need to be rethinking it. I think people need to read that with an, uh, an open heart and mind and a soft heart to be willing to let the Lord rebuke us and correct us. It was good for me to do that, read that mm-hmm. in that way. Uh, what is a word right now for the church that you have, maybe uh, three or four minutes that you would just speak to the church or church leaders who have not gotten to this point of conviction yet, and then some who have and what's next for them, that maybe they're afraid yeah, well, there's. I, th- I had two things I wanted to say. One is I would love for you to. Uh, I'm going to give you an acronym to frame up how you how you kind of um, assess what you're presently doing. Okay. So if, if our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the the acronym I use is is our equipping deeper. I'm going to walk through it real fast. Right. Um, because most of our training is just informing people. Okay. I agree. So. Deeper is D, it's demonstrated. So they see it somewhere. They see the very thing you want them to do done in front of them and with them. E, it is explained. That's where we open our Bibles and make sure they understand it's very much in here and it's based on this. Second E is they experience it to themselves. Like some, like you just said, pray. How many people really, have they been taught to pray or they've been prayed with and for and yeah. they themselves engage, which is P, practice it. Are they practicing the very thing we're training them to do? With real people. Right. Um, <laughs> and then E, the, the last E is uh, if you're doing good training and formation, it exposes them. Hmm. You see their lack of faith, their lack of knowledge, their fears, insecurities, whatever. And Jesus always did stuff to expose. So then. Like we said, we're all unbelievers in some areas of our life. That's right. Yeah. 
And so it, it exposes our unbelief. And then last, reflect on that mm. with others. Like, what did you learn about that? What would you do differently? How are you going to take this now into your life? And then I'll do another R, repeat that with somebody else. Very good. Um, and so I would just say, use that as a sense of like assessing, is our training close to that? Because even if you didn't change anything in your church, but you changed how you equip, I promise you, you'll start changing everything in your church. Right. Because you'll have to. It'll reveal where you're not doing deeper training. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I would say I'm very hopeful about where we're about to go. I think in some ways, at least I can see how people say it's so dark here right now, so hard to do so much work. And I, that makes me more excited because uh-huh. I'm convinced that God loves to get us down to a Gideon size yeah. experience so that he can do something that makes him look big and amazing. Yeah. And so if you're in that place where you're feeling discouraged a little bit downcast. I just want to encourage you. God looks best in our weakness. So if you're feeling weak, he's going to be glorified in that. If you'll continue to press in and ask him for the help for us to go into this next season. I think, I think the next 20 to 30 years of the church is going to look completely different. And, um, and for me, that makes me so excited. I mean, I'm just so excited what I think God might do. I think it could be a new reformation uh, that could change the next couple hundred years if if God should tarry. So, well, even so come Lord Jesus, but until then I know that he's going to continue building his church. And, you know, uh, I too am very encouraged right now. I think not only did he have to deconstruct some things in my mind and lead me to repentance and set me on a new path. um, And I'm so grateful for his grace to do that in my life. Um, I didn't come about that on my own. These things are discerned by the spirit. Uh, yeah. through his word. And so it's the work of God that's doing that in a lot of people's lives. I would say to some people who are watching, one, if you're feeling this frustration and anger and dissonance, I don't feel guilty about that as some may lead you to. Uh, the work of God is probably going to cause you to be frustrated with what is and what should not be before he leads you into what should be. And so uh, handle it with grace and honor and love, but accept your your anger and your frustration is a holy dissonance um, from what he wanted the word to be. He wanted the church to be as expressed in the word and throughout history. Uh, I would tell you, there are other people uh, like me, like Jeff, um, like so many others who are, are, are in this world that I think we're about to get into. Uh, I, I'm following a lot of guys who have been doing this for 10 or 15 years ahead of me. I'm learning from them. Uh, the most helpful thing for me has been beyond God reconstructing these things in me, leading me to repentance has been to learn from some guys who are before me. Uh, I can't, I can't do it alone. There's so much I need to grow and learn in. And, um, you know, Jeff would be one of these leaders that I think you should learn from. He's humble, but he's clear. He's convicted. He's strong. I mean, Jeff, today you've expressed some things with so much clarity and ease. I know this is just, it's flowing from you, but I believe that God's set you apart for this, elevated you for it, for the sake of me and so many others. So one, I'll say thank you for counting the cost many years ago for walking through some things that none of us would know about the depth and the pain and the isolation, but your faith in the Lord and how he's using you now to be a a leader for us, you and and, and so many others, several of these guys have been from Wagner to Brian Sanders to uh, Bill Hall was on here last week. You know, so there's so many guys who are really helping us ahead. So first, I want to say thank you for how you're leading in the church. And um, thanks for being willing to take uh, the tip of the spear uh, mm-hmm. opposition. I'm sure that you've endured, but um, I'm grateful. Secondly, thanks for being on this show today with me, with us. And my final question to you is, how can people best continue to learn from you? Yeah, saturatetheworld.com is where a lot of the resources that I even reference briefly, there's hundreds and hundreds of resources there, videos, PDFs, uh, studies, training, you name it, that could help you. So that'd be one of the ways. Um, You can also follow me if you want on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, though I don't really care that much about that these days. <laughs> Seems like some right. of that's not helpful, um, but it might be helpful, you know? So, and then, yeah, we're, one of our hopes is to see a gospel saturation movement happen in um, many cities around the country and around the world. So if there's a desire to be a part of a unified expression of the church on mission where you live, 
uh, let us know because we're just trying to discern with the spirit, where do we give our time to serve the church? And I'm freed up now 100% of my time <laughs> to serve the church. So I'm, that, my heart is what we've just been talking about. How can we help every church thrive? So, Man, I love that. And they would find out that and communicate that to you at saturatetheworld.com? Correct. That's great. I would also encourage you to go buy a couple of Jeff's books. Saturate would be the first one I would recommend. He has some other great ones too, but read it, you know, meditate on it, let God work through it in your heart. And I think it'll inform some questions for you moving forward. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We know that if you're watching this, you love Jesus. And because you love Jesus, you love the kingdom. You love his work in the world. And so uh, keep on seeking him and we'll do this together. Have a great day. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you.